it's like everybody has these scars that they're carrying around from when they're when they're younger. I really want, I care what people think. I really want them to like me. I really want attention. I'm trying to like fill that hole by like, oh, if I just, you know, we sold Twitch for a billion dollars or I am like, have this like really great t- tweet or I like go on stage at a conference or I, you know, make a YouTube video on viral on the internet or I get mentioned in the New York Times or TechCrunch or whatever. And all these things, I'm like expecting something to change, right? Like, a, oh, that's the thing that's going to heal this scar. You're shoveling dirt into this hole that goes all the way through the earth, right? And like falls out the other side. There's like no end to it. You can't fill it. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Papa Shot, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's chat, I talk with Justin Kahn, who helped start Justin.tv and Twitch, which sold for almost a billion dollars. I give him some shit about that. Anyway, this is a super fascinating episode. We talk a lot about life and death. And then we also go into some crazy stories about how Twitch sold for a billion is Clubhouse the next big social media app, and the whole GameStop thing that everyone's been talking about. So if you're interested in those things, plus having a good conversation today, you're going to like this episode. If you're interested in learning more about Justin, make sure you go check out his YouTube channel. Search Justin Khan on YouTube. Before we dive into the show, make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash okdork. We're going to be giving away a company. Seriously. So go subscribe so you find out about it. Also, check out appsumo.com. You already know AppSumo. Just ignore this part. But if you don't, go to appsumo.com. It is the number one place for entrepreneurs online. Also, special shout out to Bill Widmer. Dude, I've seen Bill online for such a long time. He left a review of the show saying, real, actionable advice from one cool dude. That sounds like a movie poster. Uh, Bill, you're the man, and I love every other one of you listeners out there. You're gorgeous. Thank you for listening and tuning in. And if you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I check every single one. It's funny, in our society, when things are bad, the first thing we have to say is something like, hey, we, our company sold for a lot of money, you know, but I have a high tax bill. Like, we can't just be happy. Or maybe that's me, my observation. Uh, just, I think things, I don't know, man, it feels like they're finally lining up in a very long time. And I'm not chasing another thing. I'm like, I'm just happy with all the things going on. Accepting what's, what's going on. is I feel like that's was a big, big thing for me, too. Yeah, just being able to say, oh, I'm like happy with, I don't need things to be different in the world. I'm not like trying for waiting for something to happen, like the next thing or my company to be X size or whatever, like, you know, Y dollars. I'm just happy to like be where I'm at. I'm Jewish, but I like reading these Christian authors. They have really good books. Anthony DeMello. Have you read Anthony DeMello? Oh, I ha- I've started one of his books. His was a little bit too Christian for me, but uh, Bob Goff or um, Donald Miller. And Donald Miller in his book yesterday was talking about, he thought that once he finally got married, everything would be fine. Like once he finally got the wife, he's like, oh, then it'll all be over. And I think I have that mentality sometimes. About getting married or? Some of these things. Yeah. Like once I get fame, once I get money, once I get the house, once I get the wife, like finally I can be happy. That's a very common attitude. You know, I felt that way for a long time as well. Yeah. How did you explore that? And and where are you at with that? I guess it's been a while since we caught up. Well, at first I was very tortured by it. You know, since we, the time we met all through like my whole career. And then I started this new company, Atrium, because I was like, oh, I want to do it even bigger. You know, I want to build a $10 billion company. I want to be like, you know, I want to be like Jeff Bezos or whatever. And then that company failed last year. But but a couple of years before that, like while I was working on it, you know, I guess it was about three years ago, 2018, uh, I drank ayahuasca for the first time. And it's kind of a wild story and a wild, wild trip. I can tell you the whole story. It takes a little while. But like the main thing that happened was, the after effect, I'll just start with the after effect. The after effect was that I realized that all these behaviors that I've been doing my entire life were subconscious and they were, they were, I was, I was acting out of these subconscious behaviors that came from scars when, from when I was a kid. 
you know, when I was a kid, I wanted people to like me and approve of me. And I felt, always felt like an outsider. And I was a shy extrovert. I wanted to connect with people, but I didn't know how. So, you know, as a mechanism to try to get people to be attracted to me, I was like, oh, if I make a lot of money, I'm become famous. Or I always stand out or do whatever I do, like crazy stunts to stand out, like then people will be attracted to me. And so it was like an awakening experience because I, I learned all this stuff about myself that I, you know, was quite obvious in retrospect, actually. And it's like, oh, this is the guy who's like puts his life on Twitter or like on 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 video, right? Like broadcasts his life on video. And he's also, you know, somebody who's like obsessed with Twitter and like making like fucking insightful tweets or whatever. But like the point is I didn't really realize any of that shit until I had this this awakening. And then it's been a process of figuring out ways to be able to make conscious choice about like who I want to be in the world and like how I want to live my life instead of being reactive. Things would just happen. I'd be, I'd be reacting to it instead of being intentional about like, what do I want to, I don't want to be in the world. Two things with that. I'm curious, how did your wife react as you try to reintegrate to, she's like, well, I married this one guy and now I'm getting kind of like another version of the guy. I mean, I'm a lot more present of a person and like a lot less like chasing something else, you know? And so I think I'm a much better husband and father and family member and friend, you know? I think she's been pretty happy. And she's also on her own journey. We drank ayahuasca at the same time together, you know? Oh, really? How would she respond? And, uh... and you know, her traumas and, and, and scar tissue and sense scars from when she was a kid was like different, right? So uh, she has, she had her own experience and journey. and still integrating all that into into her life but it was it was very impactful have you ever drank yeah a few times the the word chasing is funny because i think that that's also helped us create some levels of success on an external society like for sure yeah oh the first step actually the first step was to say oh that's how i am and i love myself for it i accept that you know it's not very attractive to say oh yeah justin you're somebody who like wants to be liked you know, like, or like really needs to be liked. And so he's like, you're someone who really cares what everybody thinks on Twitter. Like it's, a, it's, it's, it's not that, you know, at first, like most people will flinch away from admitting that and then let alone to say, oh, like I accept that. That's who I am. I love that. That's helped me. You know, I've been very successful because of that. And how do I want to show up in the world? Maybe that's not who I want to be tomorrow, you know, or today. I think that accepting stuff is, I don't, I find that really like really front of mind for me in the past. I mean, I broke up with my fiance last year and that was a big change that sparked a lot of positive changes. But I think accepting myself has been fucking tough, man. Like accepting like, hey, you're always five minutes fucking late, dude. And like you say you're not, but that's just really how you're fucking gonna be. Some of these other things like, hey, I like attention, similar to you. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I don't know if it's because my parents liked me too much or they didn't like me enough, but I like the fucking attention and but I think I'm like embarrassed by it or like I put go out there and I'm like, ah, should I be getting this attention? Yeah, no one wants to be like, oh yeah, I'm the guy who like, likes attention. And so I'm just in a, I'm like, that's why I'm on YouTube and shit. You know, it's better, it's easier to be like, oh, I really want to spread knowledge. That's why I'm on YouTube. I want to help people. But maybe it's both, you know, it could be both and that's okay. I don't know. The, the accepting part has definitely been uh, on my mind a lot. Just like accepting the way I am, accepting other people. I was with my uh, six-year-old nephew and he's just, He's not worried about being even accepted. <laughs> you know, he's just like, there's no expectation. He's just like doing whatever the hell he wants, crying and doing all these things. And I was like, you know, the society hasn't impacted him yet, which I found kind of fascinating. That's amazing. That's a beautiful observation. We, we were like born in this world pure and untraumatized. And then through the, you know, landing on the world, the like entry into the atmosphere of the world, we're like, uh, you know, we, we have our own scars that we pick up and then. 
boom, you're an adult, and then you can spend the rest of your life unpacking that. And that's the human experience. I guess, how are you approaching the world? I'm curious how you're think how you're approaching the world differently. And then did you interact with your parents and talk about the experience? Yeah. So well, I, I just feel bad for parents, man. Cause like, the, I, I'm guessing you have, I don't know if you have traditional Asian parents. I had like super traditional Jewish parents, like go to school, work your ass off, make a lot of money. And like, they're just doing their best, man. They're just, you know, just like you as a parent now. And it's like, you know, can you imagine your kid in 20 years coming to you and be like, you fucked me up, Justin. You're like, dude, I did my best, man. Yeah, exactly. I, that's, that's, I think that's a great observation because I, I thought the same to myself for, for a while. It's like, you know, I used to be very resentful with my mom. You know, she was kind of like tiger mom in her own way. She was not so much like be a lawyer or doctor, but like you got to do your best and like, you know, you got to work hard and all that, which is, you know, I think she was trying to do her best. And she came from a place of, of scarcity, you know, she had kind of a scarcity mindset because she grew up in a, in a resource scarce environment, you know, in Malaysia, in rural Malaysia. And so I understand it. And, you know, I talked to my mom a lot about ayahuasca and, and I think she's, she's a positive change to me. She's always been on the spiritual journey. So I think it's not like that crazy for her, but, you know, I think the important thing was just to be able to say to myself and, and her, like, thank you. You did a great job. You know, I love you. And like, here's, you know, I appreciate everything, you know, I appreciate, I accept it. Good and bad are labels. Like, I accept the parts that were difficult and the part that was the parts that were easy. You know, like, and I am the person I am today because uh, you know of you, and I appreciate that. And so, you know, I used to be like so angry with my parents because I felt a lot of like, I don't know, I was just like fought against it. Like, I didn't want to be told what to do. I thought, you know, I was fighting against that. And now I think I'm much more accepting. It's like, oh, she doesn't need to change. I don't need my mom to not tell me what to do. I'm a grown man. I used to be like, I'm a fucking grown man. Don't tell me fucking anything. You know, I'm rich as shit. I like made him so successful. You can't tell me shit. And then now, you know, she wants to tell me what to do, you know, what to do. It's like, okay, I accept that. I accept that comes from a place of love. You can tell me. Mm. Why do I need you to behave a certain way or not behave a certain way? I accept that. I might not do it. I'm going to make a choice, you know, my own conscious choice, but I, but I accept that it comes from a place of love. And I think that's been huge for me too, you know? It certainly improved my relationship with my parents, which used to be like kind of not great, you know, and now is like, okay, you know, it's not a me, you know, it's not probably the closest that we ever could be, but like, it's okay, you know. With your relationship with yourself, one thing that is a question that probably since I separated and just been reflecting on, I'm curious your take, because I'm still figuring it out is when did you become a man? I guess in there is a question of what's your, what is your definition of a man, right? And so... You know, I think there are different phases, you know, like well, there was one phase, there was one moment where I proved that I could be strong in the world, you know, like I could be on my own. I think that's probably something when like I started Justin TV or around then and I was like, you know, we can make it, we're going to fucking survive. Like we can, we can be on our own and I can be on my own in, in the world and I can like be a leader, you know, that's one. And then I think there's a moment maybe a couple of years ago where I had this transformational experience and. I could be okay. You know, I could be like, I can accept. I'm like, I can be, be a source of peace and equanimity to myself and to people around me. And maybe there's like a, a layer of wisdom that was layered onto that like layer of strength. And so I think that those are the probably the two inflection points where I would say, you know, depending on your definition, like I gained, like I became something. Yeah. Just when I reflect on, like I was talking with this guy, he uh, runs a YouTube channel called Entrepreneurs in Cars. And his channel is like really aggressive. In the way I, I guess I would label it. it's like never date a single mom, you know. If the girl's interested, you fuck the woman. Like you know, there's more out there. Never date a single mom. I feel like that's a I don't I don't get what's the logic there because if you have she has a single mom, you might never have to have a kid, another kid. <laughs> that's true. I guess his 
his point there is that like, you know, why would you want to really raise someone else's kid? Well, there's a lot of judgment in there. Yeah, there's a lot. And I, I talked to him last night and I, and I do like him. I just, and you know, he has his perspective. I just appreciated it. And I asked him that question last night. I was like, when do you become a man? I think your point initially is the exact thing. Like, how do we define a man? You know, like I think my stepfather as a man, the guy yesterday, Richard said that it's like when you're born, you're, you are a man. But uh, I think a man is kind of someone who faces their responsibilities and like faces their shit. Like, it sounds like you had some stuff you wanted to face and you faced it. I think with my relationship, now that we talk about it, having the courage to be like, this is not what I want for her, for myself, and actually facing that. I think that's a great definition. And I think I've faced various levels of my own fears at different times. You know, it's not, I think it's easy to think of things as a binary outcome, but it's like really a, it's a journey, right? It's a gradient. And like, at a certain point, one of my early 20s, I faced my, like, I'm going to go out and prove a certain set of things and I can like work hard and I can be a good leader and I can tackle a new idea and, and rise to a new challenge, right? And that was one set of things that I faced, right? And then maybe like, late years later, a decade later, I faced a bunch of my own internal demons. And I was like, oh, I can like, admit that I'm like this kind of person. And I can accept myself and I can accept other people for who they are, instead of needing them to be different or interact with me in a different way or treat me differently. And like, that was another set of things that I faced, you know, for me, when I, you know, I was in Silicon Valley, as I got going, now I'm in Austin. I think that, you know, getting fired by Facebook led me to feel very motivated to be like, fuck you people, like, fuck this place and drive me really hard. I guess what, what was your, sounding like you said as well, you're like, I was very driven to want to be proven and get accepted and, and get the success. Like, was it the parents? Was it just coming to Silicon Valley? Where, where did that come from? I think it was, no, it was before Silicon Valley. You know, I think it was a kid and I think my dad doesn't, he doesn't show that much emotion, you know? And so I think I was always maybe wanting something more from, from him on the approval side. That's the one thing Ayahuasca showed me. And then I think with my peers, especially, like I always felt like I was an outsider, but I wanted to be accepted. I, I really like people. I want to connect with people. And I, I don't think I felt like I knew how to connect with people. And then I think I carried that with me. And I always wanted, you know, I always wanted that. That's kind of where it came from, to the best of my knowledge. You know, I always thought if I could be somebody, you know, somebody important, then like people will care. They'll like want to talk to me. They'll want to like connect with me. They'll want to spend time with me. Did you feel it when you got it? No, of course not. I mean, nothing changed, right? Like, <laughs> They really need, okay, Justin, maybe one of our future companies, we need to start like a ceremonies business, like life ceremonies. Like, you know, in college, high school, you get a graduation. Like there's no life ones. It's just, like, I guess, marriage and death. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's a great observation. And I think having a ceremony is, is really important. And um, it's like, everybody has these scars that they're carrying around from when they're, when they're younger. And sometimes like you heal it, you know, I feel like I've actually healed a lot of my scar scars, you know. It's like I talk about it, but I don't talk about it with, with pain. I talk about it just, this is something that happened to me and I, I accept it. But before I was carrying around like this, these scars where it was like, oh, I really want, I care what people think. I really want them to like me. I really want attention. And I'm trying to like fill that hole by like, oh, if I just, you know, we sold Twitch for a billion dollars or I am like, have this like really great tweet or I like go on stage at a conference or I, you know, make a YouTube video on viral on the internet, or I get mentioned in the New York Times or TechCrunch or whatever, and all these things, I'm like expecting something to change, right? Like, a, oh, that's the thing that's going to heal this scar. You're shoveling dirt into this hole that goes all the way through the earth, right? And like falls out the other side. There's like no end to it. You can't fill it. Like you can't fill it by like with material things or extrinsic rewards in the outside world. In my experience, the only way that to fill those holes is to like go inside yourself and to understand and then to have acceptance and you know, that was the, that was the hard part of the journey for me. Yeah. I guess, cause you sold social cam, didn't you before Twitch? 
Yeah, but it was only only sixty million. Only so. sixty million. Ugh, oy vey. Plus, you have to split it with these bums, you know. Yeah, exactly. How did that moment feel? I mean, it felt good. Of course, just like all these extrinsic, like extrinsic rewards in the outside world, feel good for a moment, right? I mean, you've experienced that too. Yeah, your company makes a million dollars a month. You sell a company. You find date a new girl, like amazing woman. You know, like you you find somebody's you know or super hot, or you get a like really rewarding message from somebody who says like, "Hey, you changed my life." By your amazing tweet, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know, those things happen and you feel good. And then it goes back to normal. You know, that's, that's the condition of life. Right. And that's like um, what Buddhists talk about with the, where, you know, everything arises and everything passes. And there's a fundamental dissatisfaction in looking in the, to the outside world for fulfillment. Yeah. I think it's funny. Last year was the first year I started noticing how much I'm chasing it. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you're talking about, at least the way I hear it is it's a lot of subconscious. Like, I don't think, I don't know if you knew that like, Hey, I've got a scar. It's right here. It's like inside and it's like, you're not, I don't know if we're as conscious about some of the stuff going on from our behaviors. No, I was totally unconscious by it. And it's so funny because it's so obvious and retro retrospectively, right? It's like, yeah, of course the guy who like put a camera on his head and like said, he's going to stream his life to the internet 24 seven became an entrepreneur and cared about like getting in tech crunch all the time and is doing all the social media shit and like made all these Snapchats about like startups. Of course that guy like really wants attention and is like trying to prove something like deep inside to himself, you know, like that's. Like if I heard that about someone else, I'd be able to diagnose it. But then like for myself, I just never, it never occurred to me. I guess on one hand, like that level of whatever, I guess labeling it is, it did help you accomplish a lot, right? So on one hand, it's like, I guess, I don't wonder if that's like the evolution of man or life where there's like unknowing of ourselves. And like I had, I was bitter. I had a similar thing where I wanted my dad to just acknowledge like success and me and give me attention, which I, I guess I didn't feel in my youth. And so I went to him one day, I did say like, hey, I made a million dollars. And he's like, that's cool. And, you know, <laughs> but on the other hand, like that did help drive to, you know, yeah. get to where you are today. But then I guess we evolve with, I'm just thinking through it, like we're evolving now where it sounds like for you too, where, oh, maybe this is not the way I want to keep moving in the next decade. Exactly. It's recognition. Hey, this helped me. This is part of who I am. It's part of my story. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the past 10 years of this, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunity to, I don't know, seek a different level of consciousness if it wasn't for all of these you know, this grind that I put in to prove myself and then to find that ultimately hollow. When, if you think of a movie, right? If you just watch the last scene of a movie, it doesn't make any sense. It's not entertaining. It's not fulfilling. Like your life is like a movie. You have to go through the whole story arc. Like bad things happen, right? Difficult things happen. Well, the difficult things happen because that's part of the movie, right? Like that's, that's part of it. And that's the human experience that every person goes through their own arc. Where are you today? And how are you thinking about how you're choosing your this this next chapter? The first thirty five years or thirty six years, it was like very tortured, and I was like, "Oh, I need I need the world to be a certain way." I was chasing, right? That was the first part of chasing. The second part, I'm like, maybe I should just meditate all the time. I need to like calm down and like I'm resonating at this freq excited frequency. Maybe I just need to like focus on being calm. And then now I'm trying to find like the middle ground. I realized like actually that first Justin. There's a lot of joy there. You know, there is stuff. It wasn't like all like, oh, I just want to be rich, right? Like there was like, oh, I love exploring new ideas. I like helping people. You know, I like making content and being creative. And so it's like, how can I balance, you know, that part of me with the part that's like peaceful and has equanimity and doesn't need the world to be different and is a source of calm. So to me, it's like balancing those two halves and having like a, a whole person. So what that means is like, okay, yeah, I do want to be an investor, right? Like I do want to like invest in things. I want the, those things to bring change to the world. I want them to make money, but I don't need them to. 
I accept whatever happens. I don't need the world to be anyway. I'm not torturing myself about like, oh, the next guy has like a much better investment portfolio or I missed this deal or whatever. I just want to do the best I can, be the best Justin I can be. You know, I, I want to make, make content, but like, does it matter if I get to a million subs or 10 million or whatever? No, like I'm just going to do what's fulfilling me, what what gives me joy in every moment and and try to be the best person I can be in the world. That's that's kind of where I'm at right now. What are you finding fulfilling these days? I love making content. I love connecting with people. So I, I spend a lot of time like just talking to people and learning about people. That's why I have the podcast that I you know I started. I just love to, to hear people's stories, right? Just like you know my story is a story arc. It's like this is like I love to hear other people's stories. I like to mentor people. That's why I like investing. I like to learn and, and mentor. And I think uh, investing is a, is a, a, one of the great vehicles for learning about new businesses and new ideas and, and then mentoring uh, and advising other people. And so those are the things that are really activating me right now. Part of me is like, you know, would you want to hear this advice at 25 and would you be even open to it? I guess I was thinking for the people that are out there that are like not fulfilled in what's going on, I guess, how would you approach it at this point for them? Yeah. So everybody comes to it at a different time, right? I think I heard people say, oh, if you make a lot of money, it's not going to change anything. Or it's like, you're not going to be like any different. And I was like, I don't believe that shit. <laughs> you know, like when I was 25. Well, it's like they're already rich when they say that shit. I'm like, shut up, dude. You have it. Exactly. Easy for you to say. So, you know, I, I know I'm very cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of 25 year old Justins out there who are just gonna be like, fuck that guy, which is okay. But then there's also a lot where they see it and they're like, thank you, or I get it, or I, you know, you know, the reason I love talking about this stuff, like I talk, I'm talking about whether it's therapy or ayahuasca or meditation, consciousness, like disconnection from your, you know, the, the your extrinsic goals and, and not needing things to be a certain way in the world. I love talking about all of that because there are some people who listen and there's some people who say like, hey, Justin, that, that was like, that advice changed my life or thank you. Like I, you know, I went down a different path or I, you know, whatever it is. And that's very fulfilling to me. Yeah, what a journey. It's like we're only halfway into it too. That's the best part. My mom told me this. She was like, you know, you're so fortunate to be able to come to like this real this set of realizations so young. You know, it took me all my life to like unpack some of my scar tissue around scarcity and grow how she grew up. She recognized that. She was like, it took me my whole adult life, you know, up till I'm in my sixties to like realize that. And you're you have the advantage of having done like the same amount of work in you know, thirty years younger than me. So I can't wait for the next, you know, how can I spend my time in the next 30 years? I'm kind of curious why it's gotten so popular in the past few years, like the meditation and the ayahuasca and self, you know, reflection, like, and I'm curious your opinion on it. I don't know if I even have a good opinion, but I, I will say that like, you know, I've done a lot of that. I go to a lot of the therapy and then I screamed at someone last week and I was like, you're not fucking enlightened, dude. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm still human. So, so many thoughts on that. The first thing is like regarding screaming at someone, it's like, you're a human being, right? You're running a human software and the human hardware. The human experience is is an emotional experience. Like the point of meditation, my meditation teacher talks about, many, many meditation teachers talk about this, but the point of meditation is not to get rid of emotion. That's what I thought it was in the beginning. It was like, oh, you're just like Spock or something, right? The point of meditation is to accept your experience. Sometimes your experience is anger. Sometimes your experience is frustration or sadness or anxiety. Emotions are not we think of them oftentimes as distractions. They're not distractions, they're information. Anger is actually useful, right? Anger helps you survive. Like in the hunter-gatherer human evolutionary phase, anger was a, a tool. It's like, oh, something bad is happening and I need to really get amped up to respond. So if someone cuts you off in the street and you feel rage because you feel threatened and you scream at them, that is like a natural human response, right? And the point of meditation or achieving a higher consciousness is, is to not say, I'm not going to get angry. It's to create a circuit breaker so that you can choose how to act in the world when you feel angry. Maybe you don't want to scream, right? Maybe you do. It depends, right? Like it's it's like 
if the guy is actually like trying to kill you, maybe you, you want to defend yourself with anger, right? And so I think that, you know, that's a misconception oftentimes is like, I'm not on the journey or whatever, because I have these emotions or I have these experiences and that that's not, you know, that's not the case. And the other thing that really helps me is like forgiving myself, you know, it's like, because it's naturally human to have these emotional experiences and, and to be running this outdated software, it's like, you have to accept sometimes you're going to slip up. The path to enlightenment is not linear is something I always tell myself because you know, I had this, I remember I was like, after I, I meditated every day for the first like 90 days I did, I've been meditating every day for like two years now, but like the first 90 days I was like, wow, I feel so good. And then I had one day there was, I was so pissed. Like everything seemed like it was going wrong. And I was like reacting very unconsciously. And I was, I was talking to my therapist and he's like, of course you're going to have bad days. And I, you know, I just realized, oh yeah, like it's not linear. Like it's always going to go up, right? It's monotonically increasing enlightenment. And then in terms of like, why do you think this is happening now? I think that's a super interesting question, but I, I think it's a societal reaction. Like culture swings, you know, it's on, it's like a, on a pendulum. And we had this swing the last 30 years, you know, since the 80s, maybe. That's like hardcore me, you know, materialism, Instagram influencer, like, you know, wanting attention, like people flexing on each other with like how much they have and everything is about money now. And kind of like the measure of everything is money. And I think that the, interest in like inner work is, is a reactivity to that societal trend, right? People are achieving it or they're seeing it and finding it wanting. Like I achieved it, you achieved it. Like we're both doing very well, right? Professionally. And then it's like, oh, that didn't answer all my questions. <laughs> it didn't solve, like I thought if I just got rich, it would solve everything. Oh wait, it didn't. Now what? You know, and the people are asking that now what question. And some people are even asking it before they get rich, which is great, you know, and even more admirable. I was telling someone this last night, like if there's like a game, I feel like my my professional game score is like I've scored pretty well, but then my like relationships, I'm still, you know, working through these different levels that I, you know, I want to work on myself and the type of, you know, partner selection that I'm working through. One one thing I, I mean, you said about forgiving yourself. I like that, man, and the the nonlinear growth. One thing that I hung out with a friend of mine, Tynan, I don't know if you read Tynan.com, he's an awesome nomadic kind of really interesting guy. And he always talks about being nice to himself. And I'll tell you, man, I've been doing it probably more hardcore the past two months than my whole life. And it's awesome. Like, I, like I'll do some little things. On Monday, I really wanted to find this one song. I spent 10 minutes looking through every song I've liked in the past months, found the song, and I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, man, no, I'm so proud of you today. <laughs> and it was like, just being nice. And uh, some of these, I think there's something with there with people who achieve are, are generally dissatisfied, you know, because if you're satisfied, you wouldn't try to start new things or do things most of the time. So it's, I think there's, there's a little bit more, um, when they say self-love, it's just like self-liking. Yeah. My Twitter bio, the first line is be kind to yourself. If you won't, who will? I heard that. I really wasn't my own original quote. I, I read it on like a tweet from Mike Arrington, maybe. And I love that because so often we focus on kindness to the outside world, which is important, but I think it's equally important to have kindness to yourself. I don't feel like I have either very well, dude, except until more recently, I feel that I don't know if I was ever super nice to myself. And then I don't know if I was genuinely like, I think if people spoke, you know, the book, there's like book radical candor and some of these types of themes. I think I was a lot of jealous, man. Like Justin then sold for a billion. This guy has a kid. He's got a cool wife. They've already got a house. And like when they used to talk about the putting the oxygen mask on the airplane, I was thought that was stupid because like you're going to die either way. Like you're crashed. You're dead. But I kind of get it now more. It's like, yeah, make sure you got your oxygen. And then you can take care of everyone. Absolutely. But I think it's pretty hard is what I noticed is I'm trying to be like, do anything. And I'm like, if I'm not taking care of it, it was hard. So something I'm definitely been working through. 
Absolutely. I mean, I love that. It's a, the oxygen mask metaphor is a great one. It's It's been good. I just thought it was always cheesy and cliche. Like, yeah, okay, I'm going to put a mask on. I'll put it on my baby or someone else's baby. I did think of you this morning in bed. That's why I texted you that. I was like, I wonder how Justin sleeps. Like, do I sleep well? Yeah. How are you sleeping well? Do you sleep like, are you a side sleeper? I usually sleep. I mean, I sometimes sleep on my back, sometimes on my side. I sleep well. I sleep about eight hours. I'm thankful. It's another thing to be grateful for. I have friends who can't sleep. You know, it's terrible. Yeah. I was thinking about that and I was like, man, we all sleep. It's universal. And um, then it led me to the question of, someone asked me this question. I was like, man, what an interesting question. I'm curious for you. What do you think have been the most risky moments of your life? I almost da- drowned a couple of years ago, abalone, trying to abalone dive. You know, I was, we were in the water, like we shouldn't have gotten in. It was, it was you know, my wife and I was very choppy. Water was coming in like super hard and the waves started coming in really hard and we were trying to get out. And then it wasn't like a beach. It was kind of like you have to climb up these rocks. And like every time I climb up, I'd get washed off. And I'm not a, the world's greatest swimmer. She's actually a much better swimmer than I am. So I was like, fuck, you know, at first I'm like, this is annoying. And then I went like to like, oh, this is a problem. And then like, we're screaming for help. And then I was like, I'm like losing energy. And then I was like, this is how I die. In the span of like two minutes, those were the different phases of thought that went through my mind. And then I was like resigned to like, oh, I'm done. And my wife was like, no, you gotta, she was, she was like, we've got to wait until the set of the weight calms down, ditch your fins. This is hard to climb up with the fins, ditch your fins and climb up. And so she like, kind of walked me through it and I, I got up and then I pulled her up, you know, and it was, you know, that was probably the risk- riskiest moment ever. That was the moment I, th- I thought I was dead. You know, I thought it was, it was game over for me. What went through your mind at that moment? I was just like, this is, this is the end. This is the end. And then afterwards, when I came, when I was out, I was like, oh, wow, I've had a, pretty good life like it's okay like i don't regret anything i was just gonna say you chose a good wife a great wife yeah she's amazing saved my life i was thinking your motorcycle crash was pretty fucking wild oh that was a bicycle yeah oh that was a bicycle i thought it was motorcycle because you were didn't you get real fucked up i did get fucked up but it was a bicycle i so i went over it's an electric bicycle i went over the handlebars over a speed bump and i i was trying to brake but i braked with the wrong I break to the front brake, which is my own fault. And I went end over end and I broke both elbows and like I split my lip, which is why I have this scar bulb because I kind of split open down the middle and then um, I broke my one of my teeth. I knew it was fucked up. I like couldn't get up, you know, and I was like, oh shit. And um, and I went to that, you know, they took me to the hospital and I was just trying to express gratitude the whole time. I was like, you know, this is it. Because I didn't know like I could have had like a spinal injury or whatever. I couldn't really move. I was like, man, well, if this is it, I'm very thankful I got this opportunity. I just had a kid. I was like, well, I had the opportunity to have a kid. Great wife. I was like expressing my gratitude. And that I think that really helped keep me sane. You know, I was talking to the EMTs and I was like, thank you for picking me up. Like, I really appreciate you, uh, you and your partner. You know, <laughs> it's like gratitude is the thing that kept me sane. Do you feel like you weren't grateful? Like in your 20s, like you weren't as nice to all these people? Because it feels like that's something that's that you've brought up a lot this this chat. No, I wasn't. I wasn't grateful. I was always like, what, do I get, what am I going to get next? Instead of what do I have today? That's a fucking amazing. So every day for the past two and a half years, almost three years now, actually, I've done a gratitude journal. Like every, I wake up in the morning, I do a five-minute journal. I think Tim Ferriss, you know, talks about it. Like every day I like wake up, put in my like three things that I'm grateful for. It's really changed my outlook. Yeah. What was, what was today? Grateful to be building my f- fund with my uh, friend Robin, who I, who I love. Grateful to have a great reputation. And then grateful for all, all the people out there who are working, working for me and willing to take a chance on me. Dude, that's beautiful. Today, I was grateful for having a morning routine and for like, this is not as an insult, but blue collar like trades workers who fix my heater. Yes. But tell me a story about how Justin TV turned into a, a $1 billion acquisition. 
Justin TV. In the beginning, it was just a crazy idea that I had. And I was going to stream my life to the internet 24-7, no breaks. You're going to watch me sleeping in the bathroom, taking a shower, whatever it was, right? That was uh, the idea was really was kind of like social media before there was social media because this was back in 2006 when we started the, the company. You know, if you broadcast one person to the internet and people watch, they're going to, you know, they're going to find something interesting in there. And long story short, I, I recruited three co-founders, Michael, Emmett, and Kyle. And we set to work on this. We built all the hardware to create the streaming setup. This, there was no Instagram Live or YouTube Live at the time. And we uh, launched the show in 2007, March 19th, 2007. We launched the show to the internet and people came, like all these people from all around the world showed up and they were like, why is this crazy guy streaming his life? And mostly they came in and they, they were like immediately left because they're like, this guy's fucking boring. They were watching me do the things I just told you, right? Like I'm like taking a shower or sleeping or like on my computer programming and they're like, this content sucks. You know, we weren't content creators. We're four engineers, right? Four nerds. And so very quickly, they were like, your content sucks. And so then they actually started pranking us. And, you know, they would call the cops on us and order pizza just to like try to spice it up. They'd like order pizzas to our house and all sorts of terrible things. We were like the, you know, the first victims of internet abuse. And then after that, they were like, okay, why don't you like create some something, some interesting content? Or you should let other people stream. Like we had all these people came to, who came to us and said, I want to stream my bike race or I want to stream a talk show or whatever it is. Okay, how are you doing this? So the light bulb went off and we said, hey, let's make Justin TV a platform for all live video on the internet. Anyone can create their own live video. And that's what we did. And we built and scaled that platform. We launched it that year. And for the next three years, we just continued scaling and scaling and scaling. And it became a pretty big website. You know, we ended up raising $7 million from different venture funds and we had like 25 employees. And there's people streaming, you know, hundreds of thousands of streams a year. Um, you know, it was like millions of viewers. It was top 250 website in the world. And then around 2010, everything changed because the traffic had grown and grown and grown and then started tapering off. And we're like, well, if something's not growing on the internet. We need to like do something different because the internet's growing. And so we're shrinking relatively, right? And, you know, this is, this is a bad sign. If you're in a growth space and you're not growing, that's a real bad sign, right? And so we said, what, what can we do next? And we all got together as founders and four founders in this like really shitty conference from in the back of our office. And we said, we would like start debating different ideas. And one of the ideas was from my co-founder, Emmett. And he said, StarCraft II had just come out. He loved watching the StarCraft content. And he's like, I just want to watch video games on our site. And there's a, like, there were a couple of people who were streaming video games. He's like, this is, this could be a big thing. And the rest of us were kind of like, what? Video games? You know, is this like, I don't, is this really ever going to be mainstream? I don't know. And it was really insistent though. And so we had this other idea for a mobile app, a video mobile app. That's kind of like TikTok is now, but you know, this is eight years before, 10 years before, 10 years ago. And so we had these two ideas, like a, a video game, a streaming site and a mobile app for video, online videos. And we couldn't decide. So we said, okay, we're going to just incubate both of these ideas and try and see which one works. That's not a great way to run a startup, but we were very unfocused. And so we just said, we'll do these both ideas. And so we had a team around video games and we had a team around the mobile app. The mobile app, long story short, we worked on it, we worked on it, we launched it and it just didn't grow. So we decided, okay, we're going to get rid of that. We turned it into a different company. We like kind of spun it off into its own new company. And my co-founder, Michael, took that and ran with it. With the video games, my co-founder Emmett was the one who's like really in love with gaming. So he became the kind of leader of that team internally and we just started working on it. And eventually it was like part of the Justin TV site at first and it grew and grew and grew. And eventually he was like, okay, let's make it our own site, right? Like its own independent site. And so 
we were going to call it Zarth, X-A-R-T-H, uh, Zarth.com. But at the last moment, Emmett was like, that name fucking sucks. Like, I have this better name. We're going to call it Twitch.tv. And so that was kind of the birth of this idea of Twitch internally. And with Twitch, the real secret was we just went to all the gamers and we said, hey, what's it going to take for you to stream on, on Twitch instead of whatever you're doing right now? And they said, well, you know, I want, mostly they wanted two things. They wanted love. They wanted more followers. They wanted more viewers. You know, that's what creators want. They want more, spread more broadly. And then they wanted money. They wanted to be able to do it as their full-time job. And it wasn't like that they needed a lot of money. Like before we had tried to figure out, oh, could we buy sports rights for Justin TV or anything like that? And that was always like hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. These guys who wanted to be gaming broadcasters, they wanted like literally $100. Like if they could make $100 a month or like, you know, $50 a month, that would be like non-trivial to them, right? Because some of these guys, guys who were like amazing streamers who were really popular online, but they were also working at like Burger King or Walmart, you know, as their day job or GameStop or something like that. And so we started helping them make money and we started helping them get more followers. And before we knew it, we had this snowball of like more and more broadcasters coming to the site and they really knew Twitch as a community that supported broadcasters. And so even to this day, if you look at how people, how kind of YouTube community retreats YouTube versus like the Twitch community treats Twitch, like the broadcasters know that Twitch like has their back. That was kind of how it started. And so it grew after that, it was, you know, the story gets more boring, it kind of grew and grew and grew. And three years later, we sold it to Amazon for $970 billion, sorry, $970 million. And um, that was the eight-year journey. Why not a billion? Because they want that like 99 cents, you know, it's like, we didn't pay a dollar for it, we paid 99 cents. I mean, believe me, we tried. Oh, really? They want to pay what they want to pay. And we were willing to accept it, I guess. What was it like negotiating with them? And did you approach them or they approached you guys? They approached us. We actually had a deal with Google that was like fell through. And then we had another deal that fell through. And then Amazon kind of got reactivated by our bankers. And they had, we had talked to them, you know, maybe six months prior. They were interested and, and they kind of, so we started talking, you know, that way. I guess they approached us, but like we had had an ongoing conversation in the background. So what, what do you think the, the takeaways for other people looking at, you know, growing successful companies are from that experience? Like there's some I heard, which was, you know, kind of look at what's one you're interested in, which Emmett was interested in games, but two, like what's working, right? So it seemed like watching Justin wasn't working, but maybe if we open it up for other people it was working. Number one, it's like talk to your customers, right? Oh, what? I, it sounds counterintuitive, but like everything we learned was like from directly talking to our customers. The first pivot to opening it up was platform was from talking to our customers. The second pivot to do gaming was from talking to our customers. And that's what the only thing that made it work, you know, was really understanding what our customers needed. The second thing was like, if you're growing into a space, like I think oftentimes people are like, is this company big enough? You know, I, I fell into that trap. Like, is this space big enough? Is it going to be a big company? It's like, I think the most important thing is to make sure that a bunch of people really fucking love you and love your product. And almost any company can be a billion dollar company in the internet era because there is a ton of people who like anything, right? Like it could be basketball cards, right? It could be Pokemon cards. It could be like watching people play video games on the internet. Like there's so much, so many people in the world that you can make a pretty big company on the internet doing almost anything. And I think like the, the more important thing is that you have like that core group of users who really love you. And then the third thing is probably more tactical, which is just companies are bought, not sold. You know, like you can't go, we had tried to sell Justin TV multiple times and try, you know, shopped it around and tried to get people to buy, but like nobody was interested because it wasn't, we were probably smelled desperate, right? We looked desperate, smelled desperate. In this case, like when, when we did sell the company, it was more, much more because like we had built something that was really valuable that had a lot of user attention. And then people started coming in and, and trying to buy the company. Is Clubhouse the next big social media app? Why or why not? Yeah. Clubhouse is going to be bigger than Twitter. It's going to be fucking huge. And if you think about it, there's a couple, you know, a couple reasons. 
Number one, it's just that's done a beautiful job of the invite flow and really getting people activated. You know, when you sign on, you have to have an invite, but when you get, and the reason they do that is not to keep people out and make it exclusive, even though that's what journalists want to say. The reason they do that is because when you're invited by somebody, then that person will activate you by like, they will invite you and then they'll like put you in a room with them and they'll send all your friends like message like, hey, Justin just joined Clubhouse. Why don't you welcome them? So that you'll have an experience where you actually talk to a bunch of people on Clubhouse as your first onboarding experience. And so the onboarding is just fucking phenomenal. That's number one. The second thing, reason why Clubhouse is going to be huge is Clubhouse is to uh, podcasting what Twitter was to blogging. It's just more accessible, more dynamic, and more real-time. With podcasting, you have to go and like set something up, and you have to record on GarageBand or on Riverside or Zencaster or something like that. And then you got to edit it, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, is it, you do an hour at a time or whatever, maybe it's half an hour. You have to like really think about like, what's, when, what am I going to do? With Clubhouse, it's just like, kind of like, oh, I have this conversation. It's an interesting conversation. It's in front of a live audience. It's like, it's like you're in and out. You can do it for five minutes. You can do it for 30 minutes. It's just lower mental overhead. So it's, it's much more accessible. Just like Twitter, anyone can tweet. Not everyone could blog, right? Even though blogging, you know, it's like easier than writing, right? So Clubhouse is like that. That's the second thing about that is it's also a second screen, screen experience. And there's not many experiences where second screen is the wrong word, but it's like, it's, it's like you don't, it doesn't have to be your full attention, right? When you scroll through Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, that's like your full attention, right? You're, you can't do it while you're driving. You can't, well, you shouldn't. You can't do it while you're walking around, you know, or while you're in the gym, while you're cooking. Clubhouse is like podcasts. Like it's an audio only experience primarily. So you can, com- it can compete in all these times when really the only competition is podcasts and audiobooks. And so that's like, I'm about to go to sleep. I'm in the gym. I'm like cooking. I'm on my commute. You know, all of these times when you can't really be looking at your phone, you can be on Clubhouse. And so that's for those reasons, I think, I think Clubhouse is going to be huge. It's like the new talk radio. And like, I think a lot of journalists, a lot of like, you know, people want to shit on it. But to me, Clubhouse is a beautiful experience and it helps connect people all around, all around the world. And, you know, I think it's going to be bigger than Twitter. You heard it here first. I'm putting this, I want this to be on YouTube so that when it is, people are going to be like, that guy is a genius investor. Boom. Did you get on what you're one of the early guys on that? No, I'm not an investor. I'm not. No, I mean, like, I'm just a genius, maybe prognosticator is what I meant. I'm not a, I'm not an investor yet. I mean, I I would, I want to be, I'd send that publicly. I'd I'd love to be, but uh, I'm not yet. It's funny because I've got on early because Andrew Chen from A16 invited me on and I met Paul and Rohan and Oh, that's cool. I like it. I got, I can see where it's going to be popular. I had no idea it would be this big. Like when I, certain things I'm like, oh, those are going to be big as fuck. It's gotten much bigger than I expected, but I, I, there's, it's interesting to watch. I, I don't know if there'll be uh, I have noticed that people, I think like Instagram attention has gone down and I think the YouTube attention has gone up and then the audio of clubhouse has gone yeah. up. YouTube has gone up. YouTube, I think has done a really, really good job of making the series, like really promoting like YouTube creators and series and like having that be the primary kind of focus of of youtube and rewarding people who are like the most engaging and i think that's that's kind of got their gotten their attention up you know it's funny yeah i wonder how youtube's done such a good job i don't know if it's the medium of video versus instagram is only really on the phone like you really still can't use instagram too much on the web i guess you, you can't you can't post shit but i feel like youtube is is just created the co- like content or incentives or community where it's like people like me and now you and others among a lot of different verticals have created like really high quality entertainment yeah I wonder if there'll be uh, I guess TikTok is maybe the clubhouse of YouTube. Maybe, yeah. I mean, TikTok is great too. Like the the platforms that I really invest in and love, Clubhouse, TikTok, Twitter, and then now starting with YouTube, you know. Last clip that we were curious about is you had that tweet that over 100,000 likes about the GameStop controversy. Yeah. 
you know, you seem like you're centered and grounded, but I would be like, yo, I'm the fucking man today. Like, <laughs> you know, when your tweet blows up with that level of uh, virality, I guess, what is your, what's your take now that dust is settling a little bit on this GameStop, Ramenhood, Reddit, and, you know, the whole drama? Well, I think it's, I think the way that the brokerage is shut down, the online brokerage is shut down consumer trading, retail trading on GameStop and AMC and others is totally fucked up, right? And they all say it's like because of the DTCC and, you know, capital requirements on the clearinghouse side. But I think that's, and I'm not deep in it, but it seems like bullshit for a bunch of reasons. Like, why didn't they disable selling and not just buying? You know, that's one question that, that various legislators have asked, which I think is, is a very good question. Another is like, why weren't they communicating that in the beginning? And then the third thing that people don't think about is like the banks all control the DTCC. They, they What is the DTCC? The organizational body that yeah, set the clearinghouse rules for, for stock settlements. You know, there, there is an intrinsic bias there, right? Where, you know, their, their incentives were to shut down customer trading, you know, retail trading of, of, of these stocks. And so, you know, I, I feel like it exposed the corruption of the system, super fucked up. Like, I feel like we're kind of slowly degrading our trust in our institutions, like American trust in institutions. And this is like a big one, you know, another watershed moment. And I just think that that's, you know, I, I don't know how we solve this problem as a society. Like, I, I guess my kind of indignation and rage in this situation is that I felt that the, you know, it exposed the game as super rigged against the average, you know, retail investor. And I think that is you know, America is built on the, these principles of like, you know, anyone can make it, right? It's like a level playing field. And when that's not true, you know, we're not creating a system that, that people are going to be satisfied with and, and willing to participate in for very long. And I feel like the last four years of Trump has been an example of like people expressing their rage at the at the system. And I feel like, you know, we were hoping for things to swing back, right? Like post-Trump. And, uh, you know, this is like a, in my opinion, a kind of a continuation of that, of the the trends that have made people so angry and that makes me you know afraid for our country i guess I, for some reason as you, as you were talking i had the, you gave me this visual of someone like you go behind the curtain like in wizard of oz and you're like these motherfuckers right like they're they're controlling it all along just a few of these fucks that are out there and you know it almost seems like now the news has moved on to the kind of the new thing and but like the way robin hood behaved they put out a blog post oh yeah and i'm it's just like it's it's baffling and shocking and it's like how do we you know for everyone out there like it almost like reform or, or actual change on that or is it just like kind of go back to keep going to the way it was? I don't know. I mean, I got so much of an outpouring of people who were like, thank you for voicing what I feel or thought or, you know, speaking up for the common man. I mean, I, I hope that more people continue to do that and fight that battle. But it's hard to not be cynical in this case where it's like, oh, the news cycle's over and now we're just going to go back to business as usual, you know? It was shocking. One, it was just insane. And it was just shocking that like, they're like, all right, we're going to stop. You can't buy anymore. It's like, if that's not corruption, what is, right? I don't know. I like that the, at least that deep got value person, deep fucking value is like still holding and like talking about it. If you follow, I'm sure you're following him a little bit. Uh, did he, sell? he didn't sell yesterday and he was down 13 million. <laughs> that's funny. I feel like this, the interesting thing is like people buy these like movements, these financial movements that are like based on conviction versus like, you know, they, they, any sort of trying to like make a short term maximizing their monetization in the short term, right? Their realization of value in the short term. That's pretty interesting and, and kind of new. As you now got to a level of wealth, like how, how has your relationship with money changed? Yeah, well, I think it, it didn't change because I made money. It's like when I made money, I just wanted to make more money. You know, I have friends who are billionaires, you know, like I could do better. And it was like, not that I want to buy, like, what did I want to buy a challenger or a private island or something? Not really. It's more like just a number, right? That's like, it's kind of like how many Instagram followers do you have or 
how many likes did you get on the, that photo? It's like just a number that we want to see go up. That's human nature. What changed for me was when I did go through all this self-work that we, we talked about earlier, it's like, and I realized like the extrinsic is never going to drive lasting happiness for me. And I did invested in meditation and invested in therapy and you know all these other things. Then I started to realize like, oh, okay, I can accept and be happy with who I am. Like I have equanimity with what's going on. I don't need the world to be different. I don't need to have any more money. I don't need to have be more famous, whatever it is. And, and that's what really brought a lot of lasting peace and made money less important. I was also going to say, you can hang out with me. I'm only like in the eight figures. So you hang out with poor people like me and you're like, oh, now I'm doing really well. You got to stop hanging out with these fucking SF billionaires, man. There we go. There you go. I like that you said the word investing in meditation. I like that because it, it is an investment. Investing in the therapy, investing in ayahuasca is like, hey, here's things that I think are, are going to be improving for me. Exactly. They're like, and oftentimes people think, oh, I'm just going to do this thing and then it's going to be different. But meditation is a practice. You got to do it every day so that you get the benefits, right? If you just play basketball one time, you're not going to be a great fucking like basketball player. And then uh, the last thing is what, what sparked the, you know, you, you are Justin and you've always been Justin. You'll always be Justin. And so I'm curious how that evolves with, you know, the, the YouTube creation and wanting attention with that, but also wanting to share a message. Yeah. Well, with you, you know, I love creating. I actually do like creating intrinsically. It's not so much, it's kind of like, would I do this even if just five people watch it or zero people watch it? You know, and I, I do love the process of thinking, oh, like how to craft a message to like have impact and, and how to like be a good speaker and how to tell a story. I love storytelling. And so YouTube is all, you know, you know, it. it's like that YouTube, TikTok, making video, it's all those skills go into it. Right. And so for me, I do it if I'm doing it from a place of intrinsic motivation and I'm, you know, it's something I love and maybe I'm spreading a message of positivity, that's, I feel like that's good. If it's, I'm doing it from like, oh, I'm going to do a stunt, you know, to like try to get the most views, then maybe that's like not the most healthy place for me to be doing it from, right? So it's just, it's like kind of where is it coming from, you know? Amen, man. Have you read a, it's literally on my table right here. Have you read Sto Story Worthy? No. Uh, do, you, do you Kindle or physical or audiobooks? Yeah, I, I Kindle, I'll, I'll buy it. No, no, I'll send it to you. I'll send, dude, it's awesome. I just started getting into it. My buddy, actually, one of the best YouTubers I know, Ali Abdal. Ali's ama oh, fucking amazing. He's a doctor turned YouTuber. Yeah. He recommended this book uh, and he's got a huge channel and he'd love to, I'm guessing he would love to have you on and uh, it would help get uh, jumpstart your show. I would love to. Perfect. Yeah, he's fucking awesome. He's like kind of the new, uh, I don't know, I feel like kind of the new Silicon Valley is the new YouTube to some extent, like some of these really interesting people sharing their stories on there. Yeah, I love YouTube. It's amazing. All right, I know you got to go. So I'll I do, man. You are awesome. I'm glad we got to connect. We'll do it. Uh, we'll do it. So I appreciate you, man. Cool. All right, bye, Noah. Later, brother. That is a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as I did. If you want to hear more about Justin, I would highly recommend his YouTube channel. Just search Justin Khan on YouTube. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog. Let's go get matching bracelets together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of the episode. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email. Blah, 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 blah. Sendfox.com slash Noah. Oh my God, AppSumo also. AppSumo is giving away a discount for first-time purchases. So use code NOAH10 at checkout for 10% off. It's already crazy because it's already a deal site. So you're getting deals on deals. Oy vey, Noah. All right, final plug. Thank you to my amazing team. Jason at podcasttech.com. Please don't hire him away from me because I need help on these shows. Thank you to David, Mitchell, Jeremy, and Jen. And uh, I think, what's his new guy's name? Jonathan, probably. Uh, for the dork team, for all the magic that y'all do. And finally, shout out to Mel Safi. What a cool name. Who is our partner success manager at AppSumo. She props for working on the partner launch parties to make sure our partners have successful launches on AppSumo. That's a lot of keys. What's your favorite vegetable? No, I'm really curious.